Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Jennifer D'Amato. She is a certified intuitive eating counselor, a coach, and mom of four daughters, which we're going to chat all about. And it is her passion and purpose to help women make peace with food, stop the restriction, overeating cycle, and change generations to come. She knows what it's like to have a toxic relationship with food and has seen the effects and the effects that it has had on those around her, especially her children. She spent years dieting and in disordered eating, missing out on countless important moments and confusing her daughter's relationship with food. Now, not only does she have a peaceful relationship with all foods, but she has passed this piece on to her daughters and helps other women do the same. She is also the host of the Intuitive Eating Mama podcast, and we're so excited to hear all the things. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. I'm so excited too. So I'm so interested to hear about what it's like of being a mom in general, but a mom of four daughters. <laughs> Tell us. Well, actually, first, let's start off with where where you're at. How did you get here? I Obviously, that was a little bit in your bio and in your intro, but tell us about you. Me? Well, I mean, I'm Jennifer or Jen. I am the intuitive eating mama, but I definitely was not <laughs> always an intuitive eater. I mean, I think my story is so typical. You know, high school comes, your body goes through like crazy town, and then you hate it. And then you think the resolve to hating it is to go on a diet because that's what everybody seems to be doing, including your own mother. And the cycle starts and the cycle continues for a very, very long time. It's actually very interesting that the first time I can remember from the age of 17, you know, starting dieting to then feeling like I can eat was when I was pregnant with my firstborn. Like that's a really long time, you know, to be in that restrict cycle, but also just like, how wild that is when I think about it, that that was the first time I gave my per myself like permission to eat. And let me just tell you, I was just sharing this with someone the other day. I ate two lunches every day when I was pregnant. I was a fifth grade teacher. So I brought food and then I ate school food. <laughs> and it seriously was like that whole pendulum swing from restriction to overeating to the nth degree. Like I felt out of control, but also like, screw this, F everything I'm eating. And I did. And, you know, there was a lot of weight talk, of course, with my doctor at that time. And for the most part, I just blew most of it off until I had this baby. And then the guilt that set in was like, to the nth degree also. Like it was so bad. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I actually got pregnant with our second born when our first born was 10 months old. Oh, wow. 
Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And what happened with that, that looking back at it, like I always get like this heart, like pain because I, I wasn't gaining any weight with our second born. And I celebrated that internally. Like even my doctor was a little concerned and I was like, oh no, this is so great. It was not great. It was not great. You can just really see now looking back, like how disordered those thoughts were. I just didn't think about it then. Anyway, um, and then two years after that one was born, we had another one and two and a half years after that, we had our fourth. It was a lot of babies all at once. And that's just kind of how I do everything. Like, let's just go all in y'all. Like, let's do it. (laughs) And that's what happened. (laughs) I'm so curious. Like, what was your relationship with your body, your relationship with food, like throughout those four pregnancies? Like, did you see some type of evolution Mm. occur or did it happen once the girls were born? You know, I didn't, I really started to like compartmentalize my body at that time. This is a working body right now, right? It's, you know, carrying these children. That was most important to me. Um, It was, you know, breastfeeding these children. It's working. It's a job. Uh, You know, I definitely was kind of putting it in this box of I'll just wait. I'll wait to take care of it. Now, in in that space, it's not that I didn't try different diets. It that it wasn't that I wasn't like constantly thinking about the food I was eating. I just put my body in a box of, well, it's working right now. So when I'm done, I'll give this more attention. And I'm not even joking. It was the week after I was done nursing my fourth. I signed up for boot camp and this was a kind of boot camp like they did weekly measurements on your body, weigh-ins. I mean, it was the first like hardcore thing I really ever did. You know, like I'm going to change my whole body. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do all this because I'm no longer using this body for my children. Right. I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Like saying it makes me like cringe right now, but I I think it's relatable only because of like when you're in that space, I mean, your body is you know, doing different things than it had before. And it was so easy to just put it in a box. I mean, I still said all the bad things. I mean, again, all those things were happening. I just put it in this box of I'm being the mom right now. I think it's relatable, obviously, to a lot of moms, I'm sure, but also just in the like, all or nothing mindset, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm not taking care of that right now. I'm taking care of babies and this is its job right now. But it's almost like you can have the duality of whatever your body was doing at the time, right? Breastfeeding, being a mom, all the things, and also take care of yourself without it having to be a diet, right? Can you talk about that a little bit where I feel like so many people assume that taking care of their bodies, quote unquote, is I have to eat as clean as possible and be working out seven days a week and all of the things. If you could go back to yourself at that time, how would you have, what would you tell yourself? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love like dear younger me's. I love that. And I feel like I'm always so kind and gentle to her because sweet girl, she didn't know. <laughs> you know, I think my best advice, and of course, I talk to young moms all the time now. So I feel like that it comes so natural. I would, first of all, just be like, I see you and I hear you. Like your struggles are valid because you hear all these messages. Like first and foremost, I want that version of me just to be seen and heard. 
The other part is like the things you are doing right now that are important are getting that sleep. Like taking those walks, like not because you need to lose weight, but because you need vitamin D and you need to get the hell out of this house before you lose your ever loving mind. You know, you need to shut the bathroom door and pee without anyone else in there. Like that is what's important for you right now. Um, You know, sewing into other relationships like that feed your soul and your mind reading the book. Oh gosh, pick up a book, Jen, pick up a book for you. Not a parenting book. I'd tell her to read a book. Um, but I'd, I'd really say focus on the things that are, I know what self-care sounds so cliche these days, but really that's the stuff that your body needs most. And some of those things like diet cultures tried to take on, like going for these walks right now, there is like crazy trend of like walk to lose weight. I'm like, y'all, how about you just walk because you enjoy walking, walk because vitamin D walk, because if you don't walk out of wherever you are, you're stuck at that desk and that job and doing that thing. And what if you just walk to listen to the podcast, the book on tape, the Taylor Swift song for the 7,000th time that I am so into right now? Like, what if you just walk? Anyway, I think that's what I'd tell her along with giving her probably a glass of wine and be like, girl, like, let's sit out on the porch and talk. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like at that time, like a lot of what you're saying is kind of like the things in order to take care of yourself and your body don't have to be overwhelming. Like a lot of times I feel like we quote unquote, put ourselves on the back burner because taking care of ourselves feels very overwhelming because it's like, Oh no, I'm not just going to go to the gym. Um, one day a week, I have to go seven or I'm not just like going for a walk. Isn't worth it. Right. It's has to be this whole big, like again, quote unquote wellness routine. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times I think that's also part of the, the hesitation and resistance around taking care of ourselves is it feels so overwhelming. So a lot of the things that you just recommended are just great places to start. Yeah. That's something I think, I I like to give gifts in that way when I work with women. Like redefining self-care is a gift mm-hmm. I will give you. Because I do think when we 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 get so overwhelmed with the idea of self-care, of taking care of ourselves because we we want to eat the whole cake instead of taking a bite because honestly we don't know what the first bite is. And we think the first bite is getting a massage or taking the bubble bath. Well, that doesn't really work. Quite frankly, I live in Arizona. It's too damn hot for the bubble bath most of the time anyway. And it doesn't serve me. Now, if that serves you, please get in the bathtub. I don't, you know, with the book, do all the things um, and lock the door. Do yourself a favor. But if that doesn't serve you, maybe going to bed 15 minutes earlier does. And if you acknowledge that is the self-care, I had a client a while back when she started redefining self-care for her washing her face twice a day is where she started. And for her, she was like, this felt like a challenge, like even giving herself that time. But when she did that, I mean, talk about a small bite for her. And when she saw it, because we were doing the things, but we're also kind of shifting our thought about it. When she saw the washing her face, as self-care, it was like, look what I do every day. Like how good that feels 
to incorporate something small every single day. And maybe once a month, it's the big things. Right. Once a month, it's the massage or getting your nails done or your hair, whatever feels good to you. But the small things every day really do add up. They really have an impact on how you feel when you lay your head to pillow, you know, at night that I really did do something today, even if it was just wash my face for myself. Yeah, I love the idea of how can we take a bite instead of trying to eat the whole thing? Because oftentimes what we hear or what we think when we hear self-care, it's, as you said, the bubble bath, the facial, getting a massage, but really it could be going to bed 15 minutes earlier. It could be eating during the day, like Mm -hmm. prioritizing meals. How have you been able to find time for self-care with four kids? I imagine, you know, (laughs) owning a business and having a full household, like that's, that's a lot. So how do you carve out that time? Yeah. And we didn't even drop that bomb that I, my kids have always been homeschooled. Like they're literally here all the time and always have been, um, you know, I started off that way. You know, it really has looked different in different seasons of life and being okay with that, you know, that it doesn't look the same all the time is also a gift I give unto myself. So one of the things I started doing when I became a business owner, having four kids at home at the time, homeschooling all of them, I made lunch my sacred time. That was really all I could give to the day. And lunch, you know, varied and shifted depending on what was going on. But I gave myself lunch and that meant I actually, (laughs) I have this really awesome oversized chair in my bedroom. Like it's so comfy. I would go in there, I'd shut the door and I would let my kids know like it's lunchtime for mom. Like I'm taking my break. And some days that was 20 minutes. Some days it was 45 because I put the iPad on and watched a show and I literally didn't talk to anybody when they were a little bit older. When they were younger, it was a very, it was a shorter time period, you know, enough to have my lunch in peace. And that's what I did. I'd say most days that was the way I was able to incorporate it. And it's really funny how that is kind of stuck with me. My kids are older now. I mean, I still have three at home. They're homeschooling. You know, they're kind of all independent. They do their own things, make their own dang lunches and all that. But I still actually give myself that time if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever that looks like. And I cherish it. It was something I started so many years ago and I still incorporate that. I find other ways now. Um, I literally will sit at my desk and paint my nails (laughs) in between calls and doing things. But it feels so good to me to incorporate something like that. Um, You know, I don't want to go take all the time to go out and have someone else do it. So I'll paint my nails here. And then I feel like I'm a friggin' rock star because somehow I fit painting my nails in during a busy work day. (laughs) That's impressive. I know. I I think so too. Star on the forehead for that one for me. (laughs) So tell us what it's like actually. Well, actually, I'm curious about the homeschooling um, because of a few reasons. I mean, obviously our world is just fucked up and all the things that have been going on. I've been hearing a lot more about parents and homeschooling. I'm curious what made you, I mean, unrelated, but it's all related yeah, somehow, right? No, but I, what I, made I told you, you I'm an open choice? book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was, I was a fifth grade teacher many, many, oh, yes. many okay. moons ago. And, um, at the time, you know, I, I knew I was going to stay home, but didn't know for how long. I also didn't know, <laughs> when that sweet little baby was 10 months old, I'd be pregnant again. Well, some of it came down to some simple math as far as staying home, you know, where childcare was going to cost my paycheck. 
as a teacher. And I was like, mm, this is not really working for me. And then I did get pregnant. And then we had this other wild child <laughs> of a baby. And then of course, financially it was like, well, there's just no point sending both of them. And at this point, once my oldest was about three, she started reading like bonkers, brilliant child. And I was like, they're not going to know what to do with her. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll give this homeschooling thing kind of a try, like preschoolish stuff. And then it just snowballed from there. And we just were like, I, we loved it. We loved it for our family and loved the bond that was building because I kept having these babies, <laughs> as I said. And it just became this thing that became how we just have always done it. Um, it's looked a little different again. Seasons change. And right now my oldest is actually away at college, which is a wild, you know, thing to experience when you've had your kids at home every day with you. Um, but it's just something that naturally progressed to getting there. You know, I grew up somewhere where homeschooling was like not wildly accepted. And I live in a state where it's very, very popular. Mm. Uh, so for me, it just became, like I said, this natural progression of having them home. And it really has afforded me a lot of opportunities. You know, when you think about the work that I do and the journey I've been on, they've seen actually the ugly, the rough, the struggle, and they've seen the healing process. I mean, they they don't all see it in the same way. You know, my youngest is going to be 12. So she actually doesn't even remember when I was deeply disordered eating. My oldest was part of it. So they've actually, you know, the older two, I would say mostly, and definitely the oldest has really kind of walked along this journey from disordered eating to a completely healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And then of course, that has really translated for her being an 18 year old, what that looks like and, and having such open conversations about that. So the homeschooling part, you, I mean, I couldn't have predicted this 18 years ago of how that would really benefit them as they're, you know, in this world that is even more so than when I was their age, like diet culture, it, you're just inundated, body image inundated, like all of it is, I mean, social media, I think is a huge part of that, but I just also think there's such high level of communication that we do now, you know, that they're just inundated with these messages. So of course the homeschooling part has only benefited that part for them as well. I'm also curious. So let's say we have parents listening to this and yes, like it's so nice to have your kids at home because you are kind of taking them out of another environment where they could be inundated with diet culture. But what do you tell your clients whose kids are in school and the teachers are, you know, making comments, maybe there are letters being sent home saying, please don't send unhealthy junk food, right? In quotes to school or kids are starting to tease other kids. Like how do you protect your child and create a nurturing environment for them, but also recognizing that you can't shield them from diet culture. It is just so powerful. Yeah. I mean, man, if I could have like protected my kids from it, I would do anything. And the truth is homeschooled or not, you're going to be facing it. And that's been the right. truth for them, you know, and, and thankfully it has been only because I had to prepare them. Like I have to prepare them because they're going, no matter what, it, they're going to face it. And I, and most of my clients, I don't think I've actually worked with anyone actually who's a homeschooler, any of the moms I work with, you know, their kids are being inundated, having those messages actually very specifically the healthy snack messages, you know, coming in and, and those kind of things. I think boundaries are boundaries, period. And I think when you have those boundaries established as a family for yourself, 
then if you if you need to, you can set those boundaries. You can teach your children how to set those boundaries about body talk, about food commenting. And then I also encourage any parent, anyone, you know, is always kind of having a fluid, open conversation about food and body, not in a judgmental way, in a, you can bring anything to the table. You can say anything here. And, and really, of course, wanting to equip my, my clients who are the parents of how to navigate those conversations. And I think understanding your own children, you know, one of the things when my kids were younger, um, like, what do you think about that? Like, I need to understand their heart, their mind. They are an individual, right? We talk about body autonomy in this, you know, intuitive eating, anti-diet space all the time. But that applies to your children. And we need to remember that, like, they have their own thoughts about food. They have their own things they've internalized already and getting them to start speaking that out. Like, what do you think about that? Well, I think peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are fine. Well, then they're fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, or, you know, maybe they, they don't even think about someone's size. You know, it's actually, it's come up in my house. It's not something my kids think about. Not, they don't think about it. It's not just in a negative way. They're just like, who cares? Like, I like you because you are, you know, thoughtful and funny and you make me laugh and, you know, we get to do X, Y, Z together. Like those conversations, having it just be an open conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and Let's just take that one example of a, a note getting sent home. Provide healthy snacks. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> like we should put healthy in air quotes, which sucks that we have to do it these days, but we do. Right. You could really even turn that into such an awesome conversation. Like what's, what's healthy for you? Like what would you find really healthy during the day that you'd want to eat? And even inviting them into that space where healthy is like nutritional value and also something you enjoy. That's healthy, right? Because if we take one of those out, it food kind of sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you are eating something might be highly nutritious, but you hate it, like that's no fun. And if you're eating something that you just have all this stress and emotions and this burden on you about like, I shouldn't be eating this, well, that sucks too. Like neither of those works. So you really have an opportunity, again, keeping the conversation fluid and open. I hope that answers the question. I can see it in my mind, but I'm hoping. It's no, it definitely well. does. And I think having those open dialogues is so important. You know, another example that kind of comes to mind that somebody asked me about is, you know, her daughter just turned 12 and all of a sudden she's noticing changes in her body. She's noticing that she has a little bit of a stomach where she doesn't want it to be. And, you know, it's so, we want to invite kids into this conversation of like, what's wrong with having a tummy? Like your tummy actually is doing a lot for you. But when we think about what kids learn at such a young age, they've been conditioned. We've all been conditioned mm -hmm. to fear fatness. And I actually had a friend of mine send me a text message yesterday. She was reading a children's book to her son who was one. And in the book, there was some fat phobic language saying, I gained too much weight because I ate too many cookies. Mm. And it shows, and like in the photo, you see his little finger like pointing to the page and he's so young. And it shows us like how deeply embedded this all is and how early it comes out. Yeah. So I think it's necessary for parents to be having these conversations and 
you know, challenging the status quo with their kids, but also helping their kids explore themselves and other people as well. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I mean, I grew up at a time where fat was an insult. I had to do my own work, even on that one word, like this three letter Mm -hmm. word held all of this power over my thoughts and how I viewed people in the world. I had to do my own work. Again, oxygen mask on first, right? Then you can help others fully believe it. But when you're able to really value someone's character most, I think you can teach that. You model it, even if you're not direct teaching. And I think that's a a parenting skill is understanding not everything is needing to be a lesson. Some things are modeled, right? When you understand that children internalize messages so much more than if you sat there, you know, at the whiteboard and gave a lesson. They really, really do. I mean, and that's, of course, for for good and bad. My kids were internalizing all of these negative messages about food, all of this stuff I was saying about my body. I mean, I'm fairly certain my oldest knew like what my weight was because it was constant, constant, constant. And then to actually see she's been part of my entire healing journey. And again, fluid conversations, open dialogue to be an 18 year old in college where it is just always talked about bodies. When her sweet dear friend looked at her and goes, I don't get it. (laughs) Like, how are you so confident in your body? That to me, I don't want to (laughs) cry. That to (laughs) me though, is like the win of all wins. You know, we, but we're still having conversations. She's acknowledging, you know, girls in smaller bodies. And she's like, I feel like they're just treated differently. And like, it's just noticeable, but she's still then is okay. You know, I I give this visualization, I'm going to wipe tears, this visualization (laughs) with my clients all the time of the river. And if it works for you, it works for you where those thoughts will come in. My children are not immune to the thoughts that come in. I don't think anyone is. I'm not. I've done this work for a long time and I'm not immune to, let's just say we're talking about body image, negative body image. I would say like just bad body day. Like everything sucks. Nothing looks good. I don't like, bleh. <laughs> like let's just stay in bed and put the covers over and start again tomorrow kind of day. Those thoughts will come in. And what happens is when you have these strategies and tools and you've done this work, the thought literally can pass by. You can look at it. You can kind of just be like, I see you. All right. And then it floats on by. Now that is where like my daughter is. They're they're not immune. And growing up, even in this house, they're not immune, but, but they can see the thought and recognize that thought doesn't have to stay there. Or I can choose how long I want to let it sit. Maybe I want to do some work on that. Maybe it is something like, why am I really struggling to wear a sleeveless shirt today? Like, what am I, what am I thinking about? Cause I'll do that. You know, what, why is this bothering me? Oh, I feel really bloated. I, I think I had a lot of salt yesterday and I'm just like feeling the puffiness. All right. And I might sit there for a moment, but then the thought gets to float right along because we're going to have thoughts come in. It's learning how to let the thought continue to flow out. And that's something again, in this role of parenting, to gift my children with. Like, you're going to have the thoughts. And even we get so caught up in, like, well, I don't want to have the thoughts, nor do I, right? I think we all probably can sit here and agree, like, um, I don't want to think that either. Right. The When we actually even stop fighting it, right? Stop fighting that those might come in. 
then it's even easier to like deal with them when they do. Like, I'm not surprised. I'm not caught off guard anymore. I'm like, oh, I see you. Okay. All right. Here we are. Let's move on. Now I have things to do. Does, does it, I hope that now like that picture, I don't know. No, really I, works I, for me. Yes. And I use something similar with my clients as well, because I think it is so important to manage expectations in this work. We're not trying to completely eliminate all negative thoughts. We're trying to work with them and work with them in a really non-judgmental way that is filled with compassion. And so I love this analogy. And I love the fact that you have been able to gift your girls, women, this Mm -hmm. ability to take in these thoughts, but then also let them float by. Like that is probably one of the best gifts that you can give someone because it is such hard work, but it's a testament to when you actually put in the work and the time, your brain can change. Like it's malleable. It's so amazing to me, you know, and I, I think that's not something we're taught well or taught at all, that you really do have the ability to change thoughts. I don't know if you have any listeners who have little kids around. So I'm going to give a little moment warning what I'm going to say in case they do. You might want to put, you know, your earbuds in or have that little cutie patootie scoot away because I'm going to say something that I, I hope resonates. If you really struggle with the idea that like, well, can I really change my thoughts? You know, can that, is that really possible? I always use the example of Santa Claus. You know, what, no matter what you believe, but I think it's, people can at least understand, right? At one point, maybe you believed in Santa Claus and, you know, all the things that come with that and the gifts and the morning and everything, and it's all the magic of it. And then something changed your thought and you literally believe a completely different thought now, right? Like that's how possible it is. Yeah. So I, I, I always, I, I like to give that example when anyone even struggles with, well, can I do that? Like I've been thinking this way for so long and I always think, you know, there's a lot of thoughts. I always grab the Santa Claus one, but there's plenty I could grab from like, I thought that way for a really long time. Like, absolutely. I believed it wholeheartedly and now I don't, or I believe something that's shifted, a variation of it, or right. It's, it's changed enough that now like I can sit with that thought and, and live out that way. So I, I, I really want to just encourage you, like, even if the sticking point is, well, there's no way, you know, I'm going to change my thoughts about my body or I'm going to change my thoughts about, you know, chocolate. <laughs> it really is possible when you do that work on your thoughts. And not trying to go from zero to 10, taking yeah. these small bites is really important. And yeah. so you may not wake up tomorrow and think I've accepted my body, but maybe you have less days where it's more of a challenge or it's more of a struggle. And always have the understanding that this work is not linear. It is going to ebb and flow. Like we're humans with emotions. Like there will be days where you wake up and you're just like, I'm not feeling great in my body. And it doesn't mean that everything that you've done the last few years, few months are a waste. It just means you're human. And now hopefully you have some tools to help you. Yeah, yeah. I, (laughs) I have this sticky note that stays on my desk that says it's not failure, it's feedback. And I think that uh, we're going to give all the gifts, like there's just going to be gifts (laughs) on this episode, right? Like that to me was a gift because I struggled with failure. Like I'm a type A achiever personality. Failing is not in my vocabulary. So talk about having to rework your thoughts. 
And I would say most women I work with, you know, at some point on their healing journey feel like, well, that sucked. It didn't go well. I failed and not intuitively eating, you know, whatever it is like this, just I was maybe in a little bit of a downward spiral with my thoughts about my body, right? I got in that place. And what they end up learning over time even is that is something they grab in one, like they learn from. It's no longer a, I'm a failure. It's what can I take from this? What can I walk away with and then continue again, moving on from there? It's, it's always feedback, you know, and that's a thought I keep on my desk. I say it because I need to be reminded. There's nothing wrong with gentle reminders to be kind and compassionate with yourself. So that little sticky note stays right there (laughs) for the times I'm like, well, that sucked. Um, And I just need that reminder as well. What would you tell a parent who's listening to this and they themselves have not healed their relationship with food in their body, but they want better and more for their kids. And so they're really struggling to even like their body and they're struggling with restriction or just disordered eating. And yet they want their children to learn how to have a good relationship with food. Like what would you tell them? Yeah. I mean, of course, as I said, the oxygen mask, right? Like if you can find a resource, something for yourself, but in the meantime, and even while you're at the beginning, because the beginning is just as hard, you know, when you're starting that healing journey, if you can say less, that would be my, my best advice. You know, sometimes those things roll out of our mouth with almost too much ease. The comments about the food, the comments about ourselves the comments about maybe what they're eating, you know, again, and and none of it meaning to be malicious and even just not acknowledging like we're doing it. So if there's one thing you could try is to say less, less out loud. I know you have a lot of internal dialogue. Like I, I get that. And that's the part we want to work on. But if you can, and even if you say it, it's okay to retract like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Like we're modeling for our kids. Like sometimes things come out of my mouth. (laughs) I'm like, whoops. Um, Or what I really meant was because you know they heard you because you know that that was out there. Um, So be kind and compassionate with yourself in that process. But maybe if the one thing you do is not say it out loud, that's all you can do. It's going to have a positive impact. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's so important too, because, um, you know, I grew up with a mom who is, and still is like very unkind to herself. And unsurprisingly, like I grew up to have my mom's exact body and there is still not this connection that's being made where if she is unkind to herself, like that's actually a direct insult to me because we look so similar Um, And so even though you may not be commenting on your child's body or your child's weight, you're their role model. And kids look up to their parents as these like really important, perfect beings. So if your child hears you speak unkindly about yourself, that's it's going to be very upsetting for them. And if your child grows up to look like you, it's going to be even, you know, more upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've had clients where in that process, they've come right out and said to their children, you know what? I really am sorry. I said that about myself. I'm working on speaking kinder to myself. And they've just called it out, you know, in the imperfection. I, I think that's, you know, something I've wanted 
to model for my kids, even before all of this work that I've been doing is I'm, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. It was something where I feel like I knew my parents were doing it. They just wouldn't admit it. And as a, as a teenager, I was like, why don't you just say you don't know what the hell you're doing? And for me, I don't necessarily tell them I don't know what the hell I'm doing, though. I think it's pretty clear some days I don't. But that I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to apologize. Oh, my gosh. Imagine just modeling that. Like, I'm sorry that came out of my mouth. Like, I didn't, I really am. I'm working on this. You know, imagine if you grew up like seeing that parent, like working through something and acknowledging, like I'm growing, I'm always learning. Like it's life is not, I mean, as much as life is linear, it's not. And what if we Mm -hmm. even had that modeled for us, no matter what it is, I mean, that could be a game changer that I'm growing and learning. And that was something I did, you know, want to impart on my kids that like, I'm learning as I go on some things and I'm going to make mistakes and that I'm going to learn from that. Uh, I would say apologizing out loud was helpful for me because I I needed to hear it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to myself that way anymore. So I needed to hear, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry to me. Like, I'm sorry I'm talking to myself that way. It really does go both ways and what you're, you know, modeling for your children, but also like letting yourself know, okay, I don't mean to talk to you like that. Like, I really don't. I want to talk about you. I don't want to treat you that way. I want to be kind. And just even hearing it for yourself over time, is going to have an impact, you know, for yourself as well. Yeah, I love that idea. And also it, it shows that parents aren't perfect. I think we like learn that later on. <laughs> oh, we learn it. <laughs> At some point you're like, oh, my parent is not this like most perfect human. Like they're also <laughs> flawed like the rest of us. But I, you know, hearing a parent say like, I didn't mean to say that. It also creates a, a conversation and a dialogue between the parent and the child, but it also helps the child to challenge some of those thoughts when they get them. Like, well, Mm -hmm. it's okay to to have that thought come in, but we don't have to latch onto it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, there's so much packed into that. You know, if your healing journey, wherever you are on it, is actually part of their story, you know, and that's, again, you know, I get to kind of see several sides of it because I do have a child who walked all the way through it. And I have one who she only knows intuitive eating. I would say I have two definitely that only know intuitive eating as I watched my third born this morning have a hamburger for breakfast. And I looked at her <laughs> and she goes, you said I can eat whatever I want for breakfast. And I'm like, you're right. I did. And she's like, I have a really rough day. She had a lot of lessons, you know, in her school stuff today. And she's like, I need the energy to do it. Who am I to argue with that? But it's all she's ever known. You know, no. I have, and, and then my fourth born is a grazer. I know a lot of moms who struggle with the grazer, you know, who's not sitting down having the, you know, three meals and two snacks a day. <laughs> I've had grazers and they've taught me a lot in, about intuitive eating and she mm-hmm. doesn't question herself. And, you know, you brought this up before about, you know, they go through their bodies changing and all that. And I've been through this preteen craziness many times now, and it actually has become like acceptance for them. Like this, I'm growing, my body's changing. It's going to go through things. And there's not a high level of stress that comes with that Mm -hmm. in our home right now. I mean, does it always feel good? No. When you can't feel satisfied, you know, because you're just always hungry, 
because your body is going through 7,000 different changes that you can't even see, but not to come with judgment and ridicule and then feeling bad about yourself. Like this is what it is. And it's just become for her, you know, my fourth born, like just the way life is. Again, she doesn't question it to me. I'm, I'm giddy about that because I get to watch someone from the beginning be an intuitive eater. And that is like so cool to see. It's really cool. I love that. Well, Jen, this has been amazing. So fun to hear like a whole other side of your life, which is your daughter's. But tell people, how can they work with you? Where can they find you? Drop all the deets. Yeah. So I'm an Instagram girl. Like I hang out over there. So would love to have you come check that all out. I'm always, you'll probably see my girls, at least in some photos on there with permission, of course. Um, So it's at Jennifer underscore intuitive eating life is my handle on Instagram. Uh, You can listen to my podcast, like right where you're listening to this podcast, just search for the intuitive eating mama. And then you can head to the intuitive eating mama.com. I have free resources on there. I have an intuitive eating course would love to be able to share all the things that are coming up because there's a lot of things I have coming for even the summertime in the fall. Like I would love to be able to share all of that with you. Amazing. I'm going to go follow you right after. (laughs) Yay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.